Hello and welcome back to the Atmospheres Electric. I'm Rich with an itch. And there's Fran. How are you, buddy? I, I don't, can't really think of anything to rhyme. <laughs> yeah, I'm good, thank you. I, well, I wasn't trying to. Just literally, <laughs> oh, oh, it's all gone wrong. It's all gone wrong. Uh, you know, this is gonna, you're gonna, this is gonna haunt me now. You, you like it when I make a mistake to start with. Uh, you have had a haircut though, so you, you're looking fresh. Uh, thank you. I, I, I don't have the same problem anymore. Uh, it was a long time since I've needed to worry about that. <laughs> Not what we're here for. Uh, it feels like a bit of a funny time in the football calendar in the sense that there's, there's, there's not those kind of big blockbuster games taking place. There, but there is some some really interesting stuff going on. And obviously, uh, with the weekend that's just happened, the, the only logical place to start is at the, the London Stadium. Arsenal gave West Ham a good old-fashioned shoe-in. Uh, and lots of fallout off the back of it in terms of is David Moyes the right manager at oh, not as good as they think they are. So, but let's just start with with the positive side. This new shape that Arsenal have have, have gone since the Liverpool game, they've, they've, they've gone very much into a four box four with the two wide players uh, sitting very wide without a, a particular sort of number nine. It seems to be bringing the best back out of Martinelli and Saka, doesn't it? Which actually is what we've been talking about for quite a while. Is that that might be the problem area for them? Absolutely, it was their biggest strength last season. And for the for the especially at the start of the season, they just looked to be completely bereft of ideas. Like where they were going by their fullbacks with ease the previous season, they didn't look like they had that in the locker anymore. Which, and we we were questioning whether that was to do with the fullbacks bombing on and creating space. But yeah, this new shape seems to have given them a, a new lease of life, and they have once again become the main threat in that side. And you can see that by you know Saka obviously scoring goals, but also goals are now coming quite freely, aren't they? And they're getting a lot of assists as well. It's, it's interesting because because what things were tending to do was sort of double up on Saka, weren't they? It's, and and Martelli to sort of, sort of limit the, but without actually just putting the nine back, for some reason seems to keep the centre backs even more engaged. Bizarrely, because they, they've got nobody to go to, so they don't seem to know where to go, and it's creating more one-on-one activity for the wide players. Which again, as we said before, is it seems to be getting the best out of Havertz as well. He looks like he's starting to find. Not a goal-scoring form, but certainly form to, that, that's adding the value of, of how much they, they spent on him in the first place. So it seems like he's stumbled across a shape that's going to take teams a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months to, to, to unpick. Mm, and it can always then revert back to the original style, can't he? When teams start wising up to what they're doing, then you just quickly make a change in game and you go back to the original style and the centre-halves have to adjust as to whether they're doubling on the full-back or following Havertz into the number 10 role. So, yeah, I, I think having that flexibility now is going to really suit them with some of the sides. So as soon as they do start tactically getting out, out thought, quick change in game, and they should be on top again. And I think we, we have to mention a player that, you know, certainly uh, this time last year, we were talking about whoever signs him is going to have a chance of winning the league. Uh, and maybe people thought that was being overdramatic, but uh, Declan Rice has really stamped his authority, hasn't he, on the team, the squad, uh, the club. And he's starting to put in match-winning performances and man-of-match performances that are really starting to show why Arsenal spent the money. Yeah, I mean, he was, he's always been top drawer, hasn't he? And his, his performances for West Ham and England have um, showed him to be one of the best in the world. So, yeah, whoever bought him was obviously it was going to improve their, their 11 and, and the squad. Arsenal obviously got him and he just seems to fit their club and the way they play like a glove, doesn't he? He's not took any time to bed in and he has been very good all season. I think you'll probably see him come into his own even more so as Arsenal start stepping up the gears now, which look like they are doing. 
you know, and offensively, we've always known Declan Rice is good defensively, but offensively, I think you might start seeing a few more um, goals and assist outputs out of him, which he's not really known for, is he? But in this team and in this style, he could actually start getting on the, the score sheet a lot more regularly. Yeah, I, I, I never saw him being the set piece taker for Arsenal. Never mind. I, th- I thought you'd have an Odegaard or a Sack or whoever it is. You know, I, th- I thought they've got lots of good ball playing players. But actually, he's he's that, that cross for Gabriel's uh, free kick header. You know, great cross. He's really starting to add some strings to his bow that, that could make him an absolute uh, sort of an essential, not only for Arsenal but for England for for a very very long time. It does also make you question whether his best position is the you know the the defensive midfielding role whether actually he could be one of the eights who can, can push forward into those roles. It gives them a bit more flexibility as well, doesn't it? When, you know, when party's back, if they are struggling for a number eight, you know, whether there's injury suspensions, can put party in the defensive midfielder role and put uh, Rice into the, the number eight role and allow him to get forward and utilise his, his offensive play more often. So I, I just think, like you said, the more strings to his bow is going to allow Arsenal to flex that, that tactical style that they've got and, and the personnel within there as well. The lesser spotted Thomas Party. Mm. And will he ever come make a comeback? He always finds a, a way of getting injured just as he's about to make a comeback. Uh, obviously, a very, very talented football player. Uh, it's interesting, is it? Because Arsenal have kind of adapted and changed, whereas, and, and moved forward and, and are now looking like they could really make a run at this, this, this title. Whereas West Ham feel like they've gone into decline very quickly. It feels like not long ago they were beating Arsenal and Spurs, you know, relatively comfortably or certainly. You know, getting the wins and, and now to lose 6-0 at home to a London rival you know there's now a lot of noise about whether David Moyes is the right man moving forward they feel like they've gone from a club that, that had lots to play for to a club that's in absolute turmoil in, in no no time at all It was only a few weeks ago we were praising you know what a, a good job that he's doing there that the signings that have come in makes them look really solid but it seems to be like in a two or three weeks or two or three game week period that the wheels have just completely fallen off and they don't even know what style of play they're having. Like the fans are on Moyes back. Like I said, it just seems to have happened so quickly, which I find really strange. I was under the impression though that he'd signed a new contract recently, but then the more I read on social media, I think they're in talks with him. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I thought he had just signed a new contract. So then I was wondering why the West Ham fans were kicking up a fuss so much because he obviously isn't going to go. But no, if he hasn't signed a, con- a new contract, there is there's real talk about him now of whether he's the man to lead them forward, which from what he's done over the past 12 months is, to me seems bonkers. But you can see where they're coming from with some of the results of late because they don't seem to have a clue of what they're doing. No, they, they, they the West Ham fans, and I've spoken to many uh because living in this part of the world, there's there's lots around. Uh, it's not necessarily the results. You know, eighth in the Premier League is not particularly offensive for West Ham. They're still in Europe, but it's the it's the manner of play, the manner of the way he sets teams up, and against the type of teams he's setting up against. So again, they don't mind him setting up defensively against the Man City's and the Arsenal's as well. But he's also doing that against the Brighton's and the, the Sheffield United's and the Bournemouth's at home. You know, you wouldn't expect West Ham to beat Man United and Arsenal, which is the last two defeats. But you would expect them to pick up more than three points from Brighton at home, Sheffield United away and Bournemouth at home. Mm. And so this is like a culmination of a problem rather than it just being one game of, you know, and, and West Ham... I think all fans, actually, forget West Ham. If you're going to lose 6-0, which obviously never want to happen, at least go go out on your sword. At least go out attacking. At least give the fans something to be entertained by rather than this. It's almost like they, they, they just, 
even the substitutions were defensive and you're 4-0 down. Mm. Well, even, I mean, when the when the teams came out, I was quite enthused when I saw the West Ham team. I was thinking, oh, this has got a bit of attacking threat to it. You know, it looked pretty solid in the field. Before you know it, it was bang, 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 and they were 3-4-0 down. I thought, it... Like I said, there wasn't any fight about them. Like I said, you you go out on your on your sword, don't you? When you when you're getting battered, you at least try. And you know, you, you you would then expect, even if you can't attack because you've not got the quality within your team, you'd expect a few yellow cards, wouldn't you? Like you know, put your bodies on the line, try and try and do something to upset the opposition. When Roy Keane sends smash into somebody, like there just wasn't any of that, was there? Like there was, they just seemed to accept that that was the fate. And yeah, I was really really disappointed with them because I was I was quite expecting a, a good game, especially after the reverse fixture where West Ham nicked a win. I was thinking there was a real possibility that they're the sort of style of team that that could nick it from them. Wasn't the case. Well, they they beat them twice this year, and they they beat them in the cup, uh, League Cup, I believe, as well. Uh, so actually, you know, the, the two defeats may, maybe was enough for Arsenal to to, to 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 maybe wake up and and and, and not tolerate that anymore. But uh, it, it felt like West Ham just turned up. Everybody went to the stadium just knowing that they were going to lose, and they lost. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it seemed that way, didn't it? And, and if that, but if that is the um, the mentality of, of West Ham going forward, that they're just now going to be rocking up to games, especially games against tougher opposition, where previously they have put up a fight. If that's the mentality, then there is something wrong, isn't there, at the minute? And something needs to be done. And uh, very interestingly, that the people uh, like to turn on James Ward Prowse. Yeah, I saw quite a lot of fans talking about James Ward-Prowse and they were going, they don't see the point in him. Like, well, I saw somebody physically tweet, I don't see the point. I thought, he's been one of your best players this year. Like, yeah, it's it's real strange environment there at the minute. Like I said, and, it's, and it's turned within two weeks. It's, it's, it's going to be uh, an interesting, uh, like I say, couple of weeks, because there are, there are some teams that are starting to make moves for their managers. Uh, you know, I've, I've read today that Crystal Palace have got a couple of people lined up uh, including uh, Kieran McKenna from Ipswich, if, if Ipswich don't come up, uh, you know Graham Potter is still sitting in the wings. Uh, you know, there's there's a couple of European managers that, that are becoming quite interested in coming over to the Premier League as well. And I think, you know, if you're a team like West Ham and you're going to make the change, you're going to need to do it quickly to get the the person in that you want because West Ham possibly isn't the catch that maybe some teams are. And actually, you know, they're, they're going to need to move quite quickly on this. I think. Yeah, and there's other managers around, aren't there? I'm thinking like Lopetegui. I don't think he's took a job yet. There's so there's still not. All, it's not always just the top end managers. Isn't it? There's a lot of managers sitting around doing nothing at the minute, and you need to act quickly because, like you said, it's only going to get to the end of the season. There's going to be more vacancies available, which it's going to start going into a merry-go-round, isn't it? Like it's going to be first come first serve. So if you are going to make a change, do it immediately and almost get your first pick. Because West Ham. Aren't moaning about being eighth in the league. That's about where you, you know. When we did our pre-season predictions, we wouldn't have had West Ham above Chelsea. I definitely didn't have Chelsea in the Champions League. Uh, we, we wouldn't have had West Ham above Brighton and Hove Albion. Uh, I went formal on you then, didn't I? Uh, so actually, they're, they're they're probably overperforming on a league position, but it's the style of play that that you know West Ham fans want to be entertained. And and I think if David Moyes can just get that right till the end of the season, they've actually got the nucleus of a pretty decent squad. They just need, as we said many times, a decent number nine, a decent forward that can put the ball in the back of the net. And they're, they're, they're going to be there or thereabouts. Yeah, that's what I don't understand about them is when you look at their squad, and we were only talking about them in comparison to United a few a few weeks ago, saying we think they've got a better squad than United. But at this minute in time, 
you'd be picking United every day of the week, wouldn't you, to beat them? So, yeah, it's, I, I just find it really strange and I can't really put my finger on what's happened because it's happened so quickly. But the, the general squad there is a good squad. Yeah, completely agree. Completely agree. It's going to be interesting to see uh, how they do now. They've got Notts Forest this weekend and you would you would expect West Ham to be able to, you know, give that a real good go and, uh, you know, turn up at the city ground and, and, and try and claw back some, not only pride, but, but you know, if David Moyes doesn't set them up with an all-out attack kind of mentality, I think he's missing the, he's not judging the mood in the room, is he? No, and I think um, when you look at managers under pressure, I'm thinking Roy Hodgson against Palace, he, he set them up in an attacking sense, didn't he? And I think when you are under pressure, if you keep doing the same things that aren't working, you're just going to invite that pressure on you even more, aren't you? So, yeah, I think he has to go attacking and see what he can get his squad to do, especially against a team like Forest who are struggling. I think you've got to go all out for the win and try and appease the fans. Yeah, well, uh, let's let's see how that pans out. Obviously, it's going to be interesting to see whether David Moyes uh, reads the room correctly. The other game on Sunday, uh, and I really enjoyed this game, actually. I thought, uh, you know, obviously two teams that are, are pushing for Champions League for Blaston Villa uh, in the end succumbing to a late Scott McTominay goal. Uh, and again, if I'm honest, I probably thought a draw was a fair result. I don't know how you saw it. I thought I thought it probably should have finished a draw. Mm, I th- I think the first half I thought United had with a better side. Yeah, I think Villa, Villa then came into it. I think just from a general threat level, I thought United probably deserved the win, but I couldn't have argued with, with a point. But I think United just seemed to offer a bit more attacking threat for me, which sounds strange when you look at some of the players that Villa had. And they had, I think they had far more attacks and shots, but I never got the impression that they were going to score, if I'm being honest. So, yeah, I mean, I um, I thought United may nick it. And yeah, they obviously did. Just, I, don't, I don't get in confidence from both sides, though, that they're really good sides. I think both of them are of the very similar level and that's why they are where they are in the league. Is it that Aston Villa are now going through their injury run and that's why they've dropped off? You know, Pau Torres missing. Obviously, Kamara went down. He looks like he might be out to the end of the season now. You know, they're two big misses. And again, uh, where some of the other teams maybe had their injuries earlier and therefore Aston Villa got ahead of them, maybe now this is going to be their, their, their difficult period to try and get through. I think injuries definitely will play a part. I just don't think... I think, Jim, when you're on a, when you're on a run of form like they were, and I'm, thinking, I'm looking at other teams that have been on runs of form, um, the first one springs to mind is Southampton in the Championship, 25 games, and they, they got beat yesterday. I can see them getting beat in the next game because I think once you once you end up with a spiral of wins, it, that form sort of carries on, doesn't it? And you, your, your confidence goes through the roof, but it's the same as when you then lose a game. And Villa went on that huge home run, didn't they, of not losing a game, and it was just something like 20 games, whatever it was. As soon as that that happens and you lose a game, it's very easy to then go the other way. And I think that's what you're starting to see with Villa is is they're, they're starting to plateau back to their standard form because they're on such a good run and that confidence was building. They've now lost a few injuries then kicking, like you said. They've lost that that home record of you know, being unbeaten at Villa Park. So, yeah, I, I can just see them plateauing, to be honest. Uh, Aston Villa are almost a new Brighton, aren't they? In the sense that you just don't know what team's going to turn up. And, and actually, the teams they're beating are teams that you would expect them to beat. So, the last five games... They've only beaten Burnley and Sheffield United, who are both obviously in the in the bottom three. Uh, but they failed to beat Everton, score against Everton. Got a good shoe in by Aston Villa at home. Sorry, by Aston Villa, by Newcastle at home. And obviously lost to Man United. So actually they're losing and dropping points against those in and around them, which is going to be their problem come the end of the season. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely that. Whereas beginning of the season, they were actually turning over a few of the teams around them, weren't they? Now, 
I think you'll start seeing them losing or, or dropping points um, to those teams around them, which if you're going to stay in the top four, you've got to be able to at the very worst draw with those, haven't they? And so Manchester United, obviously three wins on the bounce, not lost in four. Uh, are we seeing the second coming of Man United or actually are they still got lots of questions that need answering for you? I think I think in general they do have lots of questions that need answering. Um, it's probably... I don't think we were, we were unfair to, to criticise Ten Hag and the way that the team was playing because they were losing games they shouldn't have done. But when you look at the injuries and suspensions, they were obviously without pretty much a first 11, weren't they, for a long period of time. They still should have been doing better. So I still think the criticism um, was warranted. But now they've got that pretty much starting 11 back intact. You can see that they're still a, a decent side. They're obviously not where they need to be, but they're definitely challenging now for the top one of the top four positions, aren't they, with their 11? The question is, can they keep that 11 fit? And obviously Martinez is out. Uh, Luke Shaw picked up a bit of a knock, so I'm not sure he's going to be able to start against uh, Luton. They're talking about playing a, a 16-year-old in that left-back role, by the way, uh, potentially. Uh, Casemiro coming back, though, has has definitely made them feel like a slight, you know, obviously mainly we know as well, but, but Casemiro coming back has definitely made a difference, hasn't he? It's just robust, isn't he? You know exactly what you're going to get with him. It's just his leadership qualities as well. I can't imagine him being a, a verbal leader because obviously I don't know what his English is like, but I can't imagine it's amazing that he's going to be dictating play, but pointing where Maynou needs to be, like what a great person to learn from. And just giving that confidence to the defenders behind him as well. Like when sometimes if you're a defender and you look at the people in front of you and you may have no confidence in them, that filters through to the rest of the players. Just seeing him in front of you must give you huge confidence. So yeah, he's he's a massive plus coming back, even if he possibly isn't the same player that he was last year. And, and Harry Maguire, uh, bless him, you know, man of the match performance, absolutely fantastic. Uh, both ends of the pitch was a threat every time they had a corner or a free kick. Obviously kept Ollie Watkins very quiet. It's really good. And I'm really happy for him that he's, he stuck out all of that noise that was around him and he's, he's now proven himself to be, let's be honest, a very good Premier League centre-back. Yeah, and if any, if, if people were to tell you that he's not a very good Premier League centre-back, they're lying. The fact that he was £80 million, that's his, his problem, isn't it? Is that he's gone for more money than what he was worth. But being English um, has added that English tax onto him, hasn't it? But his ability... And the way that he plays, he's perfectly suited to the Premier League. He's a very good Premier League defender. And like you said, he's a threat in both boxes. And how many people can you say about that, you know, offensively from corners in the Premier League? I mean, if you'd say to me, pick somebody to score with a header, he'd be the first person I'd, I'd name in the whole of the Premier League. So, yeah, he's a real asset in that sense, isn't he? Yeah, Thomas Suchek would be up there as well, but you're right. Harry Maguire's right at the top of that list. And uh, obviously the Man United fans and pundits that are Man United ex-players are getting very excited about the fact that they're they're only six points behind Spurs in fourth. What I find interesting is that everybody is taking that they're going to catch Spurs in fourth as a given on six points, but nobody's talking about Spurs catching Arsenal or Man City, but that's five points. Is that a reflection on the league or is that just Man United fans are getting a little bit giddy because they've won a couple of games? It's, it's definitely Man United fans getting a bit giddy because we all know full well that they've got the potential. I think they've got Luton on... This, this game week, there's a potential there for Luton to turn them over, isn't there, if we're being honest? Um, so, yeah, I just think they are getting a bit giddy. I think the the, the, the comment around Spurs catching the, the the top three is just around probably the levels. 
of of you know of, of the quality of those top three, and especially with Arsenal now picking up. If it had just been Liverpool, Man City, you know, Spurs have got a very good side. But when you say Spurs to Man U, Spurs for me are, are miles better side. So I don't think there's that that panic there that um, the United fans are. That's what they're trying to do. They're trying to create interest, aren't they, and put pressure on Spurs so they can try and drop points. But I can't see that happening. I think Spurs are a far better outfit, well-rounded outfit than them. They've got former options as well. Yeah, look, I, I, I think we all need to potentially panic over because actually, looking at the stats yesterday, there's a 77% chance currently that the fifth place in the Premier League gets Champions League football. Mm. And obviously Man City winning last night and looks like they're going to go through is going to help that. Obviously, we think that Arsenal will get through their their, their next round fixture. And then obviously, we've got all of those teams in the, in the lower European competitions that we think will go far. But there's a 77% chance currently as it stands that, that fifth place is going to be enough. So actually, you know, like we said before, the, the levels, the top three are the top three. Four, five and six are four, five and six. And within that, two of them are going to get Champions League football. And that's probably about right, isn't it? Yeah, it probably is. I mean, it's going to be interesting to see how, what Villa do. They're obviously the the team that are currently occupying that spot. And again, you look at their squad, they've got the ability to do it, but they just seem to be plateauing, don't they? Whereas United are coming up. So if you were to ask us who you're going to plump for now, I think most people would say United, but all it takes is a few injuries and the United fans to get on the back and then Villa to pick up a couple of wins and it's just going to flip-flop throughout the season, which, you know, as, as neutrals, it's going to give us a bit of interest, isn't it? Yeah, the, the the part of the pitch that I think is going to be the difference between Villa and Man United is that at the start of the season, Ollie Watkins, Diaby, Bailey, you know, looked like a really exciting front three and were scoring goals from all over the place. Uh, I, don't, I don't trust any of them anymore, whereas actually Garnacho, Rashford and Hoyland look like a front three that can score goals against anybody at any time. Uh, and actually, that might be the difference between Villa and Man United towards the end of the season for me. Yeah. Somebody who I'd like to highlight, who you've just mentioned, as somebody who I've seen the biggest downturn in form and threat is is Diaby. Mm. And what he looked like coming into the Premier League, he looked unbelievable, didn't he? To what you see of him now, he's getting dragged every week at 60 minutes. Like He just looks very, very average, doesn't he? And I think he's possibly one of the main reasons why Watkins is becoming less quiet, because they're not really worrying about him anymore are they opposition they're going <laughs> just keep Ollie Watkins quiet we'll deal with Diaby because he's really poor and then Leon Bailey's the only real threat really is running by someone like they're doing what they do to Arsenal doubling up on, on um, Leon Bailey knowing they haven't really got a lot of attacking threat through midfield have they because most of the midfielders with the exception of John McGinn who gets forward but you wouldn't exactly class him as offensive midfield would you he's more of a box to box for me they just haven't got enough attacking threat from midfield and and, and linking from midfield and into the into Ollie Watkins. And I know it's going to make your toes curl, but obviously with Kamara being injured, it looks like they're going to turn to Yuri Tillemans more and more, which obviously uh, is, is one of your least favourite players, overrated. And, and obviously you think that's going to be a problem for them in the middle of the park there. So uh, it's going to be interesting time to see how they navigate these injuries as well. Yeah, especially with their style of play. Their style of play is quite um, very similar to the old Liverpool method, really. It's the high pressing, isn't it? He's, he's just not a presser. I don't see how he fits into their, their team, really, which I think is proven by how little he's played. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, this was, a, a, I never thought I'd say this, but a coupon buster, and it, it, and it got me knocked out of my last man standing. Uh, I had Luton uh, beating Sheffield United in everything. I was so convinced that Luton were going to beat Sheffield United. Uh, does this give you any confidence that Sheffield United could put a run together now? 
No, <laughs> in simple terms. No, it doesn't. Um, I, it cost me my five pound challenge, Luton as well. I, I thought they were absolute bankers. You know, we'd big them up, haven't we? I think it's quite ironic as well. I think all the play, the teams that we bigged up and the managers that we said were under pressure, they all went and won. Um, yeah, no, I, Luton just didn't turn up on the day for me. It doesn't give me that much confidence that Sheffield, I think they're just too far behind, don't have enough quality. They're not going to be playing, you, you know, the lower teams like you, you know, as well as Luton have been doing. In all reality, they're still one of the lower teams. They're going to have to beat all of the other teams around them. And if you were to say to me, if you were predicting Sheffield's results, I, it's going to be very, very rare that I predict them to win because I just don't feel that they've got enough. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're still seven points behind Luton, aren't they? Mm. Uh, and actually, you know, of course, I know that they've still got probably Burnley and, and Everton to play. But but again, you wouldn't you wouldn't have them as favourites in any of them games. No. Uh, so, but, but I, I was very happy for Chris Wilder, you know, Thing looked like they've got that fight, that energy, and, and and actually, again, going back to the West Ham point, the fans just want to have hope, don't they? They want to go to the game believing that the players are going to leave it all out there and you're going to attack and give it a go. And the Sheffield United players seemed like they were all fully back on board with Chris Wilder and his and his tactics and his and his ethos, and and they gave Luton a good going over. Well, that's that's what I don't understand about, especially Wilder Sheffield United. You know, in a few years ago when they were in the Premier League under Wilder, they were quite revolutionary really weren't they they had the centre-backs pulling really wide they were one of the first people to play with wide centre-backs and you know get them past the halfway line joining in with a play and you know I think they finished in the top half for this their first season in the Prem yeah. they were that that was all down to attacking they attacked teams they scored goals and what they've done since they've come up is they've they've tried just to sit in haven't they really they've tried to defend from the word go and nick a goal here and there that's not how you win games of football and stay in the Premier League as a, as a promoted side. Like you can't afford opportunities. What they've done to previous games, where you know before they know it, they're two 0 down, and it's so hard to recover. Whereas actually against Luton, they went at them. You know they played they played two forwards. They had the wingers on the pitch. James McAtee was in midfield as well. He's an attacking player. Like that's what you've got to do. You've got to go out and, and attack these sides and try and score goals to get three points. I don't want to be predicting the future. That's what we do. That's what we. When I look at Sheffield United and Burnley, if they go down, like when they go down, I, I don't have the same confidence as them coming straight back up as I did in those that went down last year. Mm. Because actually, you look at, you know, who's going to pay £40 million for any of Burnley's players? Who's going to pay £40 million for any of Sheffield United's players? But Leicester, Leeds and Southampton all had players that other teams wanted, you know, Southampton got rid of Lavia, they got rid of Bellacoccia, they got rid of loads of players, as did Leicester with obviously Vardy and Barnes. So they had the income stream that kept them afloat, mm. gave them the opportunity to reinvest it. Who, yeah. who, who, who from Sheffield and Burnley are you seriously going to be dropping 40 million quid on? I think that's a really interesting point. So I was listening to another podcast and it's Simon Jordan's upfront podcast and he had Les Ferdinand on. And he was basically saying to him, um, you know, why, why have QPR never come back up? And his reasoning was when they came down, they had no saleable assets. Their only asset was Charlie Austin. He said everyone else was on big money contracts um, and nobody wanted to buy them. And I agree with you. When you look at all of those sides, you don't have many players who have got saleable assets who you can raise funds to rebuild for the championship. The only team that I think are a slight outlier to that is possibly Burnley because they've already gone and ripped up the championship, haven't they, before. But none of them would possibly want to be bought by Premier League teams. They may just have to settle for being back in the Championship so they go down with the same team. 
but they've spent a lot of money on some of those players, haven't they? So FFP wise is going to kick in. So they're not going to be able to reinvest heavily. So they're going to have to hope that that squad is good enough. So yeah, I agree. I don't think they've got all, any of the teams have saleable assets. I think the only one who you could say at the minute has a saleable asset is Luton with Ross Barkley, if they were to go down. And a few of their players had a bio up front. Like they've got some, some players who have proven in the Premier League that they'd be saleable assets. But I don't, I can't see the other two promoted sides looking like that. I just while we talk about Burnley and sellable assets, I just want to give a massive shout to uh, Nathan Teller, who uh, I know he was only there on loan uh, and left Southampton in the end, but but the job he's doing at Leverkusen, uh, mm. going massively under the radar as a young English talent. Uh, he actually went to the same uh, secondary school as where my kids are now, so obviously a little bit of a, uh, an interest, maybe a little bit of a bias. Uh, but he's doing a phenomenal job in the Bundesliga and arguably was the best English player on the pitch uh, when Leverkusen played Munich at the weekend in an absolute dismantlement of, of Munich. So, uh, yeah, maybe some of those European teams will look at those teams and, and might find, find some value in them as well going with that, I guess. I think it also highlights um, you know some of the, the talent within the Championship, doesn't it? Um, if you look at some of the players in the Championship at the minute, and I'm not thinking of those promoted sides, you, know, you look at Filagine at Hull, there's some talented players... That, talented players around, aren't they? Which you can pick them up relatively cheap, like Leverkusen did with Teller. They've got ability. Like You don't have to be going out and signing 30, 40 million pound players. Like, and if you are a promoted side, I mean, we talk about saleable assets, you might not need those saleable assets. So you say, but Burnley may be able to go in with those those players that they've got, shape them and mould them in the Championship, develop them so they're ready for another stint in the Premier League. And and, and that's, a, that's a really good point because actually if you look across the league and, and I think Crystal Palace you know, is a they got him from the, the championship. You look at that Wharton that they've signed. Yeah. Elise. Uh, Elise. Uh, you know, all, all these players getting regular game time in the championship, which is a very good level. Uh, I think it's a really good point. And Jared Bowen even came from the championship, right? You know, yeah, these players. There's so many examples. You can go back through through history and take so many players out of the championship, can't you? And possibly one of the, the most obvious examples of going through the leagues is Jamie Vardy. Like, it's, it's doable. Like, you, I think... That, uh, it's just that myth out there, isn't there, that there isn't the players out there. You have to spend forty, fifty million pounds to get a goal scorer. Like, look through the lower leagues and see who's banging in goals and developing. Ivan Tony being another example. Like there's there's so many examples out there where you actually dig, yeah, dig beneath the surface a bit. They are out there. You've just got to you know trust the process a bit with them, and that's probably where teams like United have failed, haven't they? They've gone, oh, let's just drop seventy, eighty million pound on Hoyland. Would they have been better off a few years ago, slinging some money on Ivan Tony and developing? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd be a brilliant uh, football scout with, with, with reverse goggles looking behind me. Uh, but yeah, no, you're absolutely right. The, the, the championship is actually a hotbed of, of some good quality football players, some great young English talent coming through. And again, you know, arguably, you know, I think it was 22, 24 million pounds for Walton from Blackburn. Mm. Uh, Palace is not cheap, but he looked like a player uh, and he looked very good. good. Player. Did look a good yeah. player, didn't he? He was the one standout for Palace, definitely. Yeah, I, I, I thought. Uh... Just on the, yeah. I know we'll probably get to the the Palace Chelsea game, but um, I thought that Palace starting eleven with the exclusion of Elise and Eze looks relegation, massive relegation candidates. So let, 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 let's go with it. I mean, obviously, uh, they're on twenty four points, so you, you, you're going to need. Probably Everton to catch them, you know, and they've got Everton next. So, so maybe we'll touch on it more in 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 the next part. But if if Palace lose against Everton, which it wouldn't be beyond the the, the wit of man to happen, 
Uh, it is obviously Everton as well. Monday nights, it's going to be kind of a nice atmosphere. It's going to be a real hotbed of, uh, like you say, Hodgson in or Hodgson out. Are they another team that should be looking to make a change now to have that manager bounce to come into the back end? Because actually, on, on flip reverse that, I think if you stick Eze and Elise back in that squad, it actually looks okay. Yeah, that, that was yeah, that was what I was trying to say there was without them though, it looks really, really poor. And you could go because they've obviously got Decore and a few others, uh Gwehi missing as well, didn't they? So I mean that starting eleven that I saw, you know, Wharton, as good as he played, you wouldn't look at him and go, he's a Premier League player. He's a young lad coming in, he was really impressive, but you wouldn't go, he's gonna keep you up. The rest of the players on that side, and even though you know I thought they performed really well in the first half, but on paper you look at it and you go, Oh, that that doesn't look a, a a Premier League team that's going to be nailed on for survival. You add those players back in that we've just spoke about, and absolutely it looks a decent eleven. And you go, they're far too not far too good to go down, but you get the phrase that they look like a team that'd be too good to go down. But without them, I thought, oof, that looks really, really poor. What I would say is that whatever happens for Palace this season. I think they're going to make £200 million in the transfer market from those three players going to bigger clubs. There's no way that Gaihi, Lise and Eze all stay at Crystal Palace. And I think that, it... that number depends on if they go down there, doesn't it? If it goes down, you can almost half that. No. I don't think, I don't, I don't think you can anymore, mate. I, I think not half. It, it will go down a bit. And again, it depends on whether they've got relegation clauses in their contract, of course, which I'm not privy to. But I think that you're still going to get 40 to 50 million for all, for each of those mm. three players because of just, just how good they are. Yeah, I mean, the, the only thing that I can point to is you look at the sides that were relegated and Leeds had to fire sale all of their players. Like they didn't get big money for anybody. Southampton, how much did Ward Prowse go for? Was it, it was a bit 40 million or something like that, wasn't it? Which is still, a, obviously, it's still a great amount. I know Madison went for 35, Barnes was 30, 40 million. So it's still good money. But I think if you're in the Premier League, and you're you're asking money for um you know Elisa, you're looking at 70, 80 million. I could see him going for fifty million, which again is still unbelievable money. But if you're in the Premier League, I think you can demand that a little bit more. Of course, of course. But I, I still think that you're you're talking about a benchmark of fifty million pound per player mm. for those three. Mm-hmm. You know, in England international, France internationals, you know, three of the most exciting players in their positions, you know, young English talent, or I don't know, you say technically not English, or definitely not English. France, uh, you know, it, it, it's it's an opportunity for them either way. I think whether they stay up or whether they go down, they're going to be sold. I don't think those three players will stay there for obviously unless they get a project manager that that takes them on the journey and, and, and keeps yes. them uh, going. So it leads us nicely on to, to the next round of fixtures. So let, let, let's carry on here then. So you know, Everton again, you know, we don't expect them to beat Man City. But again, if I'm honest with you, it was a pretty toothless effort. They didn't really give it a go. It was... Uh, being honest with you, I kind of turned off it after about 70 minutes, knowing that it was going to be a, a procession for the rest of the game. Everton didn't even give Man City a bloody nose, really, did they? No, they didn't. But the um, the first the first half was embarrassing from Man City's point of view, I thought. Um, I think they just rocked up to it, knowing they were going to win, which they were far too good. But they didn't create anything. I don't think they had a single shot, I don't believe. It might have been a shot on target, but... Everton looked relatively comfortable without threatening. They, they looked completely toothless, but I thought it was pretty comfortable. I was going, oh, it could be a nil-nil draw here if Man City can. But as soon as the subs came on and mainly De Bruyne, completely different kettle of fish, the tempo of the game stepped up. It was a completely different Man City side. 
I was I was feeling pretty good about myself when it finished two 0 Obviously, with that being my one game of the week that wasn't going to be both teams to score, I was thinking I'm back in the game here. We're we're, we're off and running, uh, but it was a pretty much that. Now Everton in their last five games have only scored in one game, two goals against Spurs. They've, they've, they've been to nil, three nil defeat at Wolves, nil nil against Aston Villa, nil nil against Fulham. Obviously, two nil against Man City. This is going to be for me uh, better the week under two and a half goals. What should be four all now? Uh, and it could, it could just be one goal, couldn't it? The first, it could almost be first goal wins. Absolutely. Yeah, I can't see there being many goals in this game. Like I said, both ha- recently haven't scored goals. So that has, I would, I, I'd be agreeing with you. I think that's the way to go with the bet. But it could also be that they both look at this as we need to win this game. So they end up switching their tactics a bit, like we've said with them. Um, oh, who we were talking about? Arsenal? No. Oh, I'm just looking through now. West Ham. We're saying that it, you know, almost throw oh. caution to the wind and change the tactics. Might be the same, but yeah, I reckon I'd agree with you on that. And so, obviously, this is going to be quite an attritional affair. I think you're certainly not going to want to give it away. But but if we can just talk about Dominic Calvert Lewin because he's been back for a while now, and he was, you know, we 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 spoke about him many times in this around how you know, Everton are missing him and how he's if he came back, that you know, solve a lot of their problems. But he's back and it's not solving any of the problems. And actually, he looks. He looks like he's still not match sharp. He doesn't, you know. Again, we all think that when a player comes back from an injury, that they should just come back to the level they were before the injury. Mm. He's had so many that actually, I'm not sure he's the solution to their problem. And I, I, and I would be giving Beto a go up there personally. I think he might look a bit more lively. Yeah, I was just about to sort of add in a different a view of that, but along the same lines. Whereas I just don't think he's that good anymore. I think he's overrated. Like. No, I don't even know if it's got anything to do with injuries and and uh, fitness. I just don't think. Like, when was the last time he's been a prolific goal scorer? Like, has he ever been that? He's gone through patches where he scored goals, but you could never say he's been prolific. Like when he, had, I thought when he came back in this season from injury, he looked lively and sharp. So I don't think he's got anything to do with fitness. I'd say like he does, he just doesn't. And whether it's the support around him, like you could possibly say that it's the players around him as well, but. They don't look like scoring goals, and I—I I mean, I disagree on the better. Thing. I don't think he looks a goal scorer at all. Like he offers you some a bit, a bit like Mateta. I don't—I'd say he's on similar levels to Mateta, um, which is going to be interesting. Obviously, playing each other, Beto, but they seem to be people who hold the ball up well. But if you would say to them, are they a goal threat? Absolutely not. I don't think they've got forward to me who looks like they've got goals in them. And it goes back to doesn't it that that piece of work around if he was to come on the market, who would pay? 30 million quid for him. Well, I, I, I wouldn't even say 30 million. Let, let's say 10 million quid. I mean, which team would purchase him for 10 million quid? Now, I know that's a, a bargain, you know, and he's English and stuff like that, and people would purchase him for 10 million pounds, but the reason would be he would back up the strikers that they've currently got. Nobody's purchasing him for 10 million pounds to start him, are they? Not Wolves, not Fulham? I don't think so. I think if uh, Fulham would have Jimenez up front when he's fit over Calvert-Lewin. Wolves West at the Ham. minute, I think you'd possibly get in, in West Ham's team. But if they were looking to get another winger and carry on playing Bowen there, I don't think he'd get... You know, Bowen's out of position there and I'd start Bowen over him every day of the week. Again, Everton are lucky. I say lucky, that's not the right word, but I'm sure there's lots of work. But Braithwaite is going to be their cash cow this, this summer. Obviously, they, it feels like there's a bit of a, a bidding war for him and uh, some big teams are looking to chuck some serious money at him. So, so whatever happens, 
and have a way of generating some income that I hope they use better against FFP than they have done in the past. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, I think Dominic Calvert-Lewin, uh, the, the, the way to sum it up is that even those teams around Everton probably wouldn't pay £10 million for him. No, I don't think they would. I'm glad you brought up Branthwaite as well because we highlighted him a few, uh, well, quite a while ago as a young player of the season, didn't we? Um, I think he's absolutely mustered. But what I do think he's done is I think he's possibly papered over the cracks where we have, you know, gone gone in with Daesh and said, we really like the appointment. I still like the appointment. I still think he's the perfect fit for them. What, again, I think very similar to Villa is their plateau into their level though. Daesh is possibly doing a decent job with them plateauing into the level. But Branthwaite is the one that has brought them up that extra peg. I think if you were to take him out of the team, which he wasn't in last year, I think defensively they're struggling still. I think he's the one player that's making them their defence look far better than what it actually is. So he likes, yeah, massively. He's their biggest positive. And if they sell him next year, if they stay up and then sell him next year, which like I said, there's a huge possibility that we were doing it, helping with FFP, who are they going to buy to replace that level of player? They're getting serious trouble next year if they stay up and sell him. I would combine the two conversations together and say that they need to be shopping in the championship, signing the mm. best young, young English talent in the championship or looking at uh, some of those teams higher up the food chain. Uh, and I'm going to throw one really random one, but, but obviously uh, Ashley Phillips, who went from Blackburn to Spurs, is now at Plymouth on loan. Uh, get him on, like, use the loan market of those top teams that have got youngsters coming through that aren't necessarily in their squad, you know, that, that fit the Sean Dyche system, that are going to keep that FFP freedom because they're not paying big chunks of money out to, to do that, yeah. to, to, to get to get a season of, of stability in them. Mm. I'm going to chuck you a championship defender. They should be looking at Jacob Greaves, some Hull. He's a left-footed centre-half, English lad, very good on the ball, quite tall. Um, he's exactly what teams like Everton should be targeting. One of the best English centre-halves. You pick him up, you develop and you sell him on for money. That's what they should be doing. It's exactly the business model that Everton need to do for a few years until they get there. Everton need to be going... Uh, again, we keep talking about Brentford and, and, and uh, Brighton as being the role models, but and I understand they play a slightly more expansive style of football, but Everton need to be doing that now because actually, you know, if I was an English, if I was an English player, I was once an English player, uh, Everton's the sort of club that I would actually go to because, you know, steeped in history, massive, massive club, you know, give You're young players... Get, get game time as well. Exactly that. You know, like, they, they should be, and we've spoken about this, about other teams before, that, that they, they should be the hotbed of, of northern English players should go, mm. I want to go to Everton, I can make a name. You look at Wayne Rooney, you, know, you talk about... They they give youngsters a chance. Yeah, I think about Seamus Coleman. Like came over as a, as a young whippersnapper for fifty five pound in a curly whirly, whatever it was, and you know the career he's had there. You know, there should be young English players coming through or British players coming through that production line all the time at Everton. Mm. You know, the one team that have done that well of recent times is Bournemouth. Bournemouth have been shopping from the Championship, haven't they? Alex Scott. Yeah. Um, you know, not Solanke. Obviously, didn't come from the Championship, but he was an unwanted player at Liverpool. Yeah. Like. Uh, I think Bournemouth are another team who have done that really well of recent times. Let's, let's 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 have it as it is. When when they signed him for fifteen million quid, we all went that's got way too that. much. Yeah, he got left at well, way too much. Fifteen million quid, and now it's an absolute bargain. And now they'll they'll, they'll make in the summer again second prize and even Tony Award uh, sixty million. Yeah, yeah, fifty fifty sixty million easy. Yeah, which sorts them out. You know, it takes care of their 
their, their FFP and their opportunity to go and reinvest. And again, with a, with mm. a manager that looks like he's got a very specific style of football, they'll go out and sign a forward that fits that, that system really well. And, uh, you know, they've got a wage structure that keeps them competitive. Uh, just out of interest, I, 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 I like to go down rabbit holes. Who, who would you say Bournemouth's uh, highest earner is weekly wage? Highest earner? Is it Clive it is, yeah. By quite a long way as well. I'm surprised by that. Four, four million pound a year he's earning just over. I think that I, the reason I've, I've come out of that, one, his name, his name will carry some weight. Um, and secondly, I think he came from Roma, something like that. So he's come yeah. from a club which is possibly playing, paying wages where, like I said, the other ones where the, you know, Alex Scott's come from but, um, from um, Bristol City, didn't he? He'd have been on 10 or 15k a week there. So it's not really a huge uplift. So yeah, I think yeah. he's the one where they've, they've come from a big club. So you're forced to almost match the salary. So uh, yeah, absolutely. So, so, so Monday night football is is uh, looking exciting, and again, going to be very interesting what happens there. Now, now we move on to uh, what is probably not probably definitely the biggest game of the of the, of the weekend in terms of names, which is Man City host Chelsea. Uh, we, we very briefly touched on Chelsea a minute ago, but so I, I think it's going to be interesting to do a bit of a deeper dive on Chelsea. Uh, headline news: This is going to be surely just a comfortable home win, isn't it? I can't see anything, but you know, obviously Chelsea Chelsea beat Palace on Monday. First half was one of the worst performances I have ever seen from a team. They passed the ball for the sake of passing the ball. They had no intention of attacking the goal. Um, I wouldn't have said Palace deserved to be in front because I thought they were relatively poor as well, but at least they had a go. So they, they had a go at Chelsea, didn't they? If they take that form into Man City, Man City will absolutely demolish them. And I would be not be scared of saying it's going to be six minimum if they take that level of form. What you normally see from Chelsea, though, is they step up against the better sides, don't they? So that's what I'm hoping to see. But if they don't, it's going to be an absolute demolition. It still feels to me like he doesn't know his best 11. It still feels to me like he's experimenting. It's still, and again, I know, I know some of it's down to injuries with Reese James is out, etc. Cetera, et cetera. The world only just coming back. Uh, you know, he's now put Nicholas Jackson sort of on a left midfield, sort of a four-four-two with Cole Palmer down the middle. You've got Casado and Fernandez that look like they've had a row. They don't look like they want to be in the same sort of postcode as each other when they're on the pitch. Like I just don't know what they're trying to do. I'd agree. So I've I've I watched them quite closely, you know, like tactically, just trying to see what he's trying to do there. And my analysis was I haven't got a clue. And the reason I say that was, I, I went onto social media and I thought, let me see what the Chelsea fans are saying. So Thiago Silva was getting loads of stick for passing the ball slowly. Um, I looked at that to go, let me see what, what I can see there. And the one thing that I saw was, the reason he passed the ball slowly was because there wasn't a player within 15 yards around him to pass to. All of the players were in the opposition half and he was on the halfway line and nobody was coming to showing for the ball. So I was thinking, what, what is he being to, what are the players being told here? Because they were moaning, like all the fans are moaning about how slow he passes the ball. And I thought, it's not his fault. He's not got a pass on. You've not got, um, you know, Fernandez coming and getting on the ball, turning, you know, trying to, or even trying to pass through the lines. They're all playing so high up the pitch that there's no style of play. There's no linkage between that. There's no patterns being created. And the same, another person I highlighted who I thought was really poor and has lost his way completely. And, and whether or not you link it back to an injury, is Ben Chilwell. Every time he gets the ball, his first instinct is to pass the ball backwards. Previously, He'd have got the ball and he might have ran ran down the wing, you know, whipped across in and, and he looked at an attacking threat. He looks an absolute shadow of the player that he was previously. So I think they've got huge problems because I don't think Pochettino is drilling. Unless they're ignoring him, they're not drilling in a style of play and patterns of play. Do, do you think 
whilst we're doing a tactical dive, because I, I think if you go back to when Pochettino was at Spurs, there was a very clear 4-2-3-1. Eric Dyer was the CDM who would sit back and make it a three in position and the two full-backs would bomb on. Danny Rose and uh, Kyle Walker obviously being the, their main two. But I feel like he's been he's been Guardiola'd. And instead of creating his own system, he's almost like they're trying to play... Everyone's trying to play like, I keep going back to this, but everyone's trying to play like Man City, but without the players mm. and without the tactical know-how. So actually, if you just... Because you've got Caicedo or Fernandes that can do that drop into the back three if you need to. You've got Gusto and Chilwell that, that, that feel like that's their natural inclinations to go forward. But with, they're just trying to be like Man City rather than be like Chelsea. I think his biggest... His biggest problem is is that he's got players there who are almost fearing the name of the club and the expectation on them. And I use Ben Chilwell as the example again. Is when he first came into the club, he obviously came from Leicester. He's come from a club that aren't a big club, and his expectations probably weren't that high. But now he's, I think he's the captain, isn't he? He's the captain there. He looks like somebody who's fricked to death of making a mistake. And I think when you look through a lot of the players there, a lot of them are. And I don't know whether whether you can attribute that down to Pochettino in the style of play, but to me, Pochettino looks lost as well. He doesn't look like he's got a, a formation that he's nailed down. So if I said to you what formation did they play, I, I couldn't tell you because Jackson doesn't play as a winger. He moves around the pitch, doesn't he? They don't have a set formation and pattern to play. Like I, I find it really difficult. So I obviously did a tactical analysis of looking at them, but I couldn't then nail down and tell you how we could have fixed it because there's so many problems. Yeah, like I say, uh pace of play is, is is key to if you're trying to be a possession based team that's one thing you can train anybody to pass the ball backwards and sideways with no mm-hmm. penetration you know and that's why the commentators if you remember on Monday night kept mentioning how many times Fernandez had given the ball away but that's because he was trying to be progressive with the ball mm-hmm. trying to get it into spaces but actually like you say Crystal Palace banked up with two fours Chelsea are playing this new three two five that everybody feels insistent on doing and it actually kind of nullified each other Whereas actually, if you can move the ball quickly, that's how you create opportunity space. But it has to be done quickly, constantly. It has to be, you need to know whether, you know, Brighton and Masters at it, right? They, they kind of move the ball with purpose, but at pace. Not and you know, just... where you know where your next pass is, don't you? You know, so as it's come into you, you know that the, the player on your left is bombing down the wing, you put it in his path. Yeah, I, 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 feel, I genuinely feel for Chelsea fans because they, they are used to winning stuff. You know, I've got a whole bunch of Chelsea fans that are going to the final in a couple of weeks in the, in the League Cup and they're, they're going because they have to because it's a final, but they're going really expected to get absolutely battered by Liverpool. Mm. I'll tell, um, tell you what is also done with the formation that he's applying at the minute is he's completely nullifying Cole Palmer and how lucky they are to have him. <laughs> we criticised it, didn't we, the money they paid for him, but he's a hell of a talent, what a player. Without him in that squad, they'd be looking at relegation. And I'm not exaggerating that. He has been the difference between them being a relegation candidate and being in mid-table and actually putting him up front as a false nine at the minute. You know, they ended up swapping him over to the right, didn't they, second half, where shock, he ended up influencing the game. Yeah, to me, the one player that they've got there, which is is of top quality, by putting him in, in that formation, nullifies him. So, yeah, I think they've got serious problems and I think a lot of this has got to fall on Pochettino as well because he doesn't seem to be rectifying them. There's that, that there's that great video of Rory Jennings uh, with his in the summer talking about how Pochettino is the second coming and and now he's like he's got to get out of my club. Uh, very fu- very funny if you're not a Chelsea fan, obviously. Uh, on the other side of that corner, Man City have got a big week. Obviously, great result in the Champions League, relatively comfortable in terms of three one up. If they win both of these games, uh, the league is theirs to lose, isn't it? Like if, if they can beat 
Chelsea and Brentford at home, you'd have to say that, that Man City are odds on favourites to win the league. Hmm. I don't. Uh, yeah, I, th- I think you'd have to say that they're favourites, but obviously Luton have got a double. Uh, sorry, Liverpool have got a double game week as well. And when you look at their fixtures, you'd like to think that they'd, they'd win both as well. So um, playing first is going to be beneficial to them. So obviously Liverpool play first for their first set of games, um, and then Man City play before Liverpool. So I think that's going to be interesting as well to see. You know, playing first is a big um, argument, isn't it? Playing first is is a huge benefit, which I can I can see. Um, so if one of those sides take advantage, Brentford are going to be the team that will put pay to both of the sides playing first here because they're obviously playing Liverpool first and then Man City first in the second part of the game week. Dirty Brentford as they'll be known for moving forward. Dirty uh, Brentford. Yeah, but, but Dirty Brentford though is, is a great example of what team can cope with a bit more physicality. I'd like to think, you'd like to think it'd be Liverpool, but you just don't know, do you? Like, I think both of those are intriguing games because Brentford do have the ability to give them a bloody nose. Yeah, look, absolutely. Brentford are, are, are fantastically overachieving. There's no, there's no two ways about it. Uh, but what, what I'd just like to do, in, and, and for why I feel so uh, comfortable and confident in the Man City statement is that I look at the benches of the teams at the weekend and there was a couple of benches that really worried me. There was a couple of benches that, that made me go, wow, they're going to... Yeah, so if we look at the Liverpool bench... Uh, and again, I know there's injuries, but every team's got injuries. They had uh, at least uh, three players I'd never heard of on the bench. So Lewis Kumas, James McConnell, uh, Bobby Clark, uh, and Fabian Mrozovic. Uh, four players on the bench of Liverpool that you think, when you look at the Man City bench, that was a... You know, if they were nil nil one one or even mm. one nil down with 15 minutes ago, they could, they could make some real damage coming off the bench. The actual bench was the, the reason the game changed for me against Everton for Man City was being able to just go, oh, we'll sling De Bruyne on and literally within seconds, the tempo was lifted 50, 60%. Like, it was just that, that yeah, I agree entirely. That's, what, that's why you've got to say Man City are favourites of the league just for the sheer squad that they've got. But if Liverpool can keep their squad fit and get Salah back ASAP, then they're obviously well within the hunt, aren't they? And I don't think you can discount Arsenal as well, but... Definitely, the squad that Man City have got is just frightening, isn't it? The players that they've got. Jack Grealish isn't even getting a kick, is he, at the minute? He got injured last night, didn't he? Mm. Uh, but you look at their bench, Carl Walker, Gavardio, Rico Lewis, Jack Grealish, Kevin De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva, Oscar Bob, Jacob Wright. That is a uh, ridiculous bench. That's a starting <laughs> That's a starting eleven. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Uh, so, uh, obviously, confident that, that, that Man City uh, are, are going to beat Chelsea. Obviously, the, the other one that's really of interest for me this weekend, and we, we touched on both teams, uh, and, and, and as we said, one of them kind of stitched us up last week and one of them uh, got a good result. But, but Luton hosting Man United, as we said, feels like the sort of game that Luton actually will probably do really well in. It could be a real uh, banana skin, as they say, to use a cliche for, for Manchester United. And, and if, if, if Luton could get the win here, that would really give them the lift going into the back end of the season, wouldn't it? Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if Luton nicked something from this, mm. just because um, it's a relatively small pitch, isn't it? United are, are predominantly playing with their wingers. That's where their, their outlets are. So obviously they're not going to have as much threat out wide due to the space. Um, Luton seem to have a lot of legs about them. When you look at the midfield, you know, they, they should be out running Casemiro as good as he is. So I can see them actually posing a threat. If you'd say to me, do I think they win? No. Um, I think they will lose, but I can see them, you know, giving them a real problem, and it wouldn't surprise me if they nicked a point. I haven't done this, by the way, but but the bet would be a draw with Manchester United minus one goal. 
don't know mm. how that works. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, because like, Luton lose by a goal, don't they? At home, if they mm-hmm. lose, it's two one, one nil, three two. Normally, against the big teams, they only lose by a goal. So actually, a draw with the with the is it the Asian handicap? Is that what's called? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I might have to look at that. See, I say these things. You know I have to go look at. Do you know where I, I think there's a decent shout is if you put some of the favourites in on a Sky but Acker, I think it's five teams. You can freeze them, putting Luton in, and then if they score first freezing them or if they, if they do end up taking the lead you can freeze them at a fairly big price and that's possibly where I, I could be looking to utilise Luton oh, so let's let, let's go into uh, some predictions because obviously it's about that time and so uh, we'll go do the rundown and see what we've got we'll then come on to our £5 uh, challenge that we should really just give to a stranger but we'll, we, we keep giving it to the bookies because they don't make enough money uh, so uh, we start at the GTEC Community Stadium in Brentford where Brentford Host Liverpool. Uh, how do you think I see this being pretty routine for Liverpool. Not two. Okay. Uh, I think it will be slightly higher scoring than that. I think Brentford will score from a set piece. So I think it will be 1 3 to Liverpool. Uh, I think we're both going to probably agree on the next one at Turf Moor and Burnley. Arsenal, a good run. Burnley can't buy a win. Uh, how do you see this one going, buddy? I've got that. It's Burnley, Nort, Arsenal, four. I've gone nil three. I've gone nil three. I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I've been really disappointed with Vincent Company in terms of not adapting to the league. And I, I think that Arsenal will just take them to pieces, and they'll be too, too, too clinical, and yeah, that, that could get messy. Quick uh, word on quick word on Company. Is he getting away with the stick that other managers have? Definitely, I think he is. Yeah. Possibly one for next week. Yeah, definitely is. Definitely is. Uh, I, th- I think people are just happy that Burnley are trying to play football. Like Burnley got this reputation of being, you know, anti-football, and so I think people are kind of just happy they're playing football and missing the point that actually Burnley used to be quite a bloody difficult place to go and and, and did mm. bloody well, uh, rather than being this kind of, for want of a better word, sort of two goal start that they seem to be giving teams. Uh, again, we've all got blinded by Guardiolaism. I think uh, a couple of really interesting games now uh, that could go anywhere and. Fulham host Aston Villa at Craven Cottage. Uh, this could be literally anything. But what have you got? I've gone Fulham 1, Villa 2. I've gone 2-2. Two, two. I've gone 2-2. Two, two. I think Villa, with that, especially with Kamara missing as well, I think you know if Torres and Kamara are both missing defensively, obviously Tyron Mings, etc., etc., all missing as well. I, I, I see goals in that game. I, I can't lie. I think that could be a high-scoring affair. But mm. I can see it being anything to anybody. Uh, it's a complete finger in the air. Uh, Newcastle are starting to pick up uh, again, obviously back at St James's Park against a Bournemouth team that are now on a bit of a sticky run. So actually, a game that in the reverse fixture I was all in on Bournemouth winning. Uh, I think this might be different. Son, what you got? I've got Newcastle two, Bournemouth one. Yeah, I'm going to go three one Newcastle. I think Newcastle are starting to get some players back. I think Bruno Gamarish being able to move a little bit further forward up the pitch is looking like the player that he was again. Uh, Harvey Barnes coming back, Callum Wilson's coming back. They're, they're, they're starting to get those key players back. So uh, I'm going for, for a high-scoring home win. Uh, we spoke about them a lot today at the City Ground in Nottingham. West Ham need a performance more than a result, probably. Probably need both, but definitely performance more than a result. Not as far as, again, a little bit too close to that relegation battle that they would like, especially if some of those other results go against them. So Forest host West Ham and you've gone for a one all. A big build-up for a draw. 
for. I, I just don't think any both teams at the minute have any quality about them. So I, I can just see them sort of cancelling each other. Wouldn't surprise me if it's nil nil. Yeah, I'll go two one West Ham. I think West Ham will score from a, at least one set picks as well. Uh, I think they've got enough quality uh, in in those sort of areas. Uh, Spurs uh, with that dramatic last minute winner against Brighton arguably against run of play uh, host the Wolves team that again have become a little bit up and down uh, we've been massive Gary O'Neill fans uh, they gave Spurs a, a going over in the return fixture scoring two late goals how do you see this one going? I've got Spurs two Wolves one yeah I think uh, the other team whose bench impressed me at the weekend other than City was Spurs mm. uh, they had Sun they had uh, Hoybier they had and they had uh, Johnson, they had you know, people on the bench for the first time that I thought actually the bench could win them the game and it, it, it went on to do so. So I think uh, over a 90-minute game, I think Spurs might win it late, but I think you're right. I think they will just win it. But I'm going to go for a 3-2. I think Wolves will set up, as they do every week, really well and score a couple of goals. And I think Spurs will nick it probably late on with the sub. Uh, Man City, as we've already discussed, host Chelsea. Uh, this could be quite... Yeah, go on, pick a number. So I did have four nil written down, but I'm actually, I'm going to go six nil. I'm going to I'm going to put it out there because I think I just think they're going to demolish them. So I did I did have four written down, but then after obviously we've we've had a chat. If if the proper Man City, not the first half of Everton game turn up, if the proper Man City turn up, I can see that being an absolute demolition. Neil, no, oh my goodness me, that has uh, taken my breath away. Uh, just while I quickly look. Uh, Six nil will be sixty six to one. It's got to be the five pound challenge, isn't it? I'll leave that up to you to decide. Just let you know. Uh, I don't think it'll be six. I don't think it'll be six, but I do think it'll be three. I think it'll be three nil. Uh, I think Man City have got enough going on with a midweek game this week and next week. I think they'll take the foot off the, the pedal when the game is won. So I think three nil is where I sit with that one. Sheffield host Brighton on Sunday, on, live on Sky at Bramble Lane. This one will be a... This is Sheffield nil, Brighton three. Yeah, Brighton are missing loads of players. Yeah, Pedro didn't play at the weekend. Uh, however, they, they did dominate for, in patches in the game. So, yeah, it will be a Brighton win. I'm going to go 3-1. 3-1. Matoma's back, isn't he? He looked really yeah. good. Yeah, it did yes. makes a difference, of course. Uh, Luton, as we spoke about, host Manchester United. Uh I'll start this time. I'm going to go. I'm going to go one two. I have written down one two as well. So for yeah. argument's sake, I will say two nil Man United. But yeah, I agree one two. Uh, Everton Palace Monday night. We, we went into detail. You've got it as a one one draw. Yeah, I'm going to go two one Everton. I think they'll just have enough at home. I think the home fans will get them over the line. Uh, we'll touch on the Tuesday, Wednesday games because we're not sure what we're doing next week. So Man City host Brentford on Tuesday nights. So I've got three uh, nil Man City. Yeah, three one again. Brentford will score. From, I, I think I've done that. Both scores, aren't I? Three one uh, Man City and Liverpool host Luton. It was a great game. The return fixture was one of my favourite games of the season. But this one, I think, will be different. But what have you got Luton uh, so, at Liverpool? Yeah, I've got Liverpool two Luton one. I'm going to go three nil Liverpool. Uh, 3-0 Liverpool I think at home it'll be a different game altogether okay we move on to our £5 challenge uh, I've got a boring one this week uh, because my big ones just keep not coming in so I've gone for Liverpool Arsenal Newcastle and Man City all to win 
that is a four to one return. So twenty pound or five hundred. Mm. I was got? I was thinking on the same lines um, of, of it being pretty boring, and it's not it's not going to be any <laughs> revolutionary picks. I've gone for Liverpool, Arsenal, Man City to beat Chelsea. Man United and then Man City to beat Brentford and Liverpool to beat Luton. So I've got Liverpool and Man City in there twice. So basically, Man City, Liverpool to win twice and Arsenal and Man U. I couldn't tell you what it is. I've not looked at what it is yet. But yeah, I, I just can't see how the favourites there don't win. Yeah, agreed. Uh, completely agree. So again, as always, mate, thank you so much for your time. Uh, remind people where they can find us. So if you go to any of your podcast providers, so we are on Apple and Spotify. If you search for The Atmosphere is Electric, if you can just drop us a follow, um, listen to the episode, send us any feedback on there, that'd be great. Helps us just grow the audience. Um, and if you want to interact with us on social media or X, we're on or on Twitter or X, um, search for The Atmosphere is Electric. You can send us a DM if you want to be a guest on the show. Um, I said, get in touch with us and we'll, we'll get you on. Amazing. As always, friend. Thank you very much. My favourite out of the week. Really enjoyed that. Look forward to speaking to you next week.